It Was Almost Real, the Pro Wrestling History Podcast, Episode 28. Welcome to It Was Almost Real, the Pro Wrestling History Podcast. My name is Ken Zimmerman Jr. and this is the podcast dedicated to professional wrestling history, most of the time, from 1870 to 1920. But in today's episode, we are going to go way, way into the future because I have a guest in studio who was the person who uh, went with me to all the wrestling matches in the 80s and who we watched uh, wrestling every week. And that is my cousin Dan is back in studio. Hello, everyone. So what we thought we would do is we thought we would go forward in time to go back in time because we're actually recording the episodes this weekend out of order because most of the listeners to the podcast are around Dan and my age, which we're not going to share with you, but we will tell you when we started watching wrestling, if you can guess from there. (laughs) So I'm a little bit older, and I started watching a little bit before Dan. And I started watching in 1978-1979 uh, Pro Wrestling from St. Louis, which was the Sam Muchnick promotion. And for the next several years, I was a really big wrestling fan. And Dan also lived in St. Louis. And we ended up going to high school together in 1986, which was coincidentally also when we got cable in St. Louis. So prior to 1986, we only got the syndicated wrestling shows, which initially we didn't have syndication. We just had St. Louis Wrestling at the Chase. But after the St. Louis Wrestling Office broke up in 83, we started getting the syndicated shows for the promotions that also sent talent for uh, Sam Muchnick, or not Sam Muchnick, for the promotion now owned by Pat O'Connor and Bob Geigel and Vern Gagne. So we got the Central States Wrestling Show on Saturday night, which was horrible. We got the AWA show after that, which wasn't really much better except for the 1984 angle where Bruiser Brody beat up the High Flyers, Greg Gagne and Jim Brunzel, and then got into a a high-profile feud with Crusher Blackwell. That wasn't a great show either because you didn't get to see the big stars like Nick Bockwinkel regularly. And then we had World Class on Saturday morning because we were always getting the Von Erics in St. Louis. And then the WWE programming at 11 on Channel 11, which started out as Wrestling at the Chase, but it was all WWE after 83. And then that just morphed into the WWE show. In 1986, about the time we got cable, Mid-South Wrestling was also syndicated in St. Louis, and it quickly became the UWF. 1986, we get cable, and Danny and I start going to high school together. So I am a senior. He is a freshman in the 1986-1987 year. And we discover primetime wrestling. Mm -hmm. So I thought it would be good for us to go back and watch an episode of primetime wrestling. So we decided to watch the first episode that's available on 
uh, Peacock, and I believe it's the April 28, 1986 episode. It's the very first one. It's uh, Season 2, Episode 17. Yep, Season 2, Episode 17. And we got a chance to watch this again. So I'll give you my memories of primetime wrestling, but I want to give Dan a, a chance to talk here. And What do you remember about primetime wrestling? The thing I remember about primetime wrestling was the chemistry between Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan. Bobby Heenan was always, you know, sticking up for the bad guys, and Gorilla Monsoon was always rooting for the good guys, naturally. And Gorilla Monsoon was a perfect straight man to Bobby Heenan's comic foils. Uh, and then I remember um, the bad guys are, well, actually, I shouldn't say the bad guys. Whoever the star of the match was never sold <laughs> the, the enhancement talents blows uh, or punches, strikes, whatever you want to call it, moves. And um, I remember the wooden ring steps before the <laughs> advent of steel steps. I was like, could you imagine getting hit with a set of wood steps? Right. <laughs> They're trying to go up those things. Sometimes. Right. And your, your recollection are really kind of the same I had. I was not a WWE fan at all. Yeah, correct. I liked Orndorff. I liked Piper. Hated mm -hmm. Hogan. I was an NWA guy. Yeah. Um, when we got Jim Crockett Promotions, I, I loved JCP. But... I did become a WWE fan, or WWF fan, which is really what it was back then, by watching primetime wrestling. Yeah. But I thought the wrestling was terrible. Oh, it was. It was horrible because you had, well, like we was discussing a while ago on the second episode that's on there, you had Big John Studd versus, and King Kong Bundy versus these two guys that didn't even make up one King Kong Bundy. <laughs> right. I mean, it was horrible. There was yeah. no... There was there was no wrestling. It was just a, it was a squash match. <laughs> yeah, a lot of squash matches, and the matches you did get that were competitive were usually like the one we were talking about. Uh, we'll cover here just a little bit, but Nikolai Volkov versus Tony Gurria. Yes. Mm -hmm. So if you had something that was actually going to be any kind of a match, it was always lower tier guys. I will say, I did become a fan of Bret Hart watching primetime wrestling mm -hmm. because they were primarily tag teams everywhere else, but on primetime wrestling, I guess when they did those arena shows and the Boston Garden and that, they would split the team up and wrestle them singles a lot of times. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I got to see a lot of Bret Hart in singles actions that you never got to see anywhere else, and, and I became a fan of his. And I believe it was Gorilla that coined the excellence of execution, because that's the first time I ever heard it. Yes, I, I believe, I believe that's correct, yes. So you watched the show for the goal that was those segments where they were introducing the match or between matches with Bobby and Gorilla. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And even though they were supposed to be enemies, they couldn't help cracking each other up. Usually it was Bobby cracking up Gorilla and making him break up. Mm -hmm. But every great once in a while, Gorilla would get Bobby and make Bobby break character. And it was funny how they would try to get back into character. Exactly. After busting <laughs> up laughing, you are so despicable. <laughs> So I'll say something about the wrestling on this show. I actually was surprised that I thought more of the matches now than when I watched them back then. Right. And I wonder if that's because the stuff we've seen is so bad <laughs> over the last 10 to 15 years that that is just, it looks better now to us than it did to us in the 80s. I think it does. And, um, you know... On those, on that uh, primetime wrestling show, you were seeing a lot of guys that were just coming out. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, you had 
basically the Tonga kid before he was Tonga kid. Yeah. You know, uh, and just seeing a lot of these guys that were just now breaking onto the scene. I mean, we had Leaping Lanny Poffo before he threw Frisbees into the audience. He had to read yeah. it off the, <laughs> you know, and I guess this was Iron Mike Sharp. He was only about nine years into that forearm injury yeah. <laughs> at the time. <laughs> well, I tell you, I looked up some of the ages on some of the uh, wrestlers because I was really surprised. Why don't we just jump into the show? So the reason we're taping or recording this episode first is because I'm going to do the the history that I learned in this latest book project of uh, Sorokichi Matsuda, which I promised in the, the episode 26. But we're also going to review the Money in the Bank match between the Usos, Solo Sokoa, and Roman Reigns. Because that's a match, I think, that would hold up in any era. And it's oh. about the only match we're interested in on this whole yeah. pay-per-view thing. And Although, we will watch Dominic Mysterio get beat up. To oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so, Dominic has generated enough heat with us that we want to see him get beat up. So. Which is a good thing. That's what you want to do in wrestling. That's right. But in this particular show, I liked the first match. And I probably wouldn't even have watched it in the 80s. But the first match was Nikolai Volkov and mm-hmm. Tony Gurria. Exactly, yeah. Gurria was a tag team champion in the 70s primarily. His last big run was in early 1980-81 where he and Rick Martel were a tag team. And they were a pretty popular tag team mm-hmm. in the WWE. But at this point in time, he was starting to wind down his career. He was he is actually a year older than Nikolai in this. Oh, okay. So Nikolai is sort of like Harley Race. He looks older than he is. Nikolai mm-hmm. is 38. Oh, and Korea is thirty nine. Wow. Yeah, yep. And I thought Nikolai was in his forties. Well, I mean, Harley he, he was in his mid thirties, and he looked like he was forties. Well, yeah, that's. But I mean, he started when he's fifteen, so uh-huh. we gotta take that into consideration. I did like the match, and mm-hmm. a couple of things I liked about it. So Nikolai Volkov is believable. He is the guy that you wouldn't want to mess with. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, he looks like a Russian bear in this yeah. match. This is before he got into the later 80s and all of his chest went down to his stomach. Yeah, and yeah. Um, and he's a very credible, strong man type wrestler. Mm-hmm. And I thought Gurria was really good as the opponent in this. He made Nikolai look good. Nikolai didn't sell very much. Mm-hmm. Um, Gurria got a little bit of a comeback a couple times, but... It was kind of a back-and-forth competitive match that Nikolai won and looked pretty good doing it. So I'd say in hindsight, I probably wouldn't have even looked at this match in the 80s, but this was actually a pretty good wrestling match. It was. It was uh, one of the first times I ever saw Nikolai Volkov win a singles uh, match. Yep. Uh, Because you know why? We didn't have Mid-South from the early 80s. We get mm -hmm. Mid-South in 86. Bill Watts knew how to use him pretty well, too. He did win quite a few matches when he was in Mid-South. Okay. Because, you know, usually uh, in the later 80s when he was in the WWE and... and, uh, He was putting people over. He was putting people over along with the Iron Sheik. You know, they were... um, But uh, what surprised me, you're talking about Nikolai Volkov being a strongman wrestler. He also did some uh, acrobatic moves. I think there was a couple of sunset flips he did. And I was like... I mean, you know, when I was 38, could I do a sunset flip? Right. No, I'd end up in a hospital. (laughs) And I think that's one of the things, most of the people on this card, there's a few people on this card I would say don't, they look like what you would think of 
when you see a professional wrestler. And I think that's one of the differences today. I'm not saying the small wrestlers shouldn't be allowed to wrestle. I think mm -hmm. that there's room for both. Yeah. But the problem is everybody's small today. And it, when yeah. you and I, uh, my son Caleb, I told him, he, my son Caleb is six foot, six foot one and 280. He would be a monster. Yeah. In the, he mm -hmm. would be an average sized guy in the 80s. Yeah. A little heavier, but height-wise, he wouldn't be as tall as many of the guys. Because yeah, you had guys like Ted Arcidi, who yeah. was just completely just ripped up. I mean, he was the strongest man in the world at one time. Yeah. So it's just, yeah. But I mean, you and I... You know, I'm 5'10", well over 200. Mm -hmm. You're 6'2", well over 200. We would be towering over a lot of these oh, guys yeah, nowadays. Uh -huh. And that's the difference. No, We wouldn't have been towering over any of those. I remember when we went to our first WWF card in St. Louis where I almost got us killed. Yeah, thanks. And um, we were just amazed at how big the wrestlers were. Mm -hmm. how much bigger they looked than when they were on television. These guys were awe-inspiring when yeah. you saw them. Don Morocco, I still say it to this day, had the widest set of shoulders of any human being I've ever seen. And I have been in plenty of bodybuilding gyms with professional bodybuilders. I've never seen anybody with shoulders as wide oh, as Don Morocco. Yeah, and I tell you, and if you remember correctly, too, it, now it might have not been that first show, but we want, we went to one show where King Kong Bundy was there. And he had to come through the door sideways. Yes, that was that was either the second or the third. I didn't get us almost killed on that show. Okay, yeah. But I was like, this guy was so huge. And not, I'm not talking about fat. I'm talking the guy was just huge. It was. What did they used to, to call that? It wasn't big boned. Uh, just brawny. Yeah. He was just a yeah. You know, a powerful guy. He didn't just look like a blob. He, right. He had some tone to him as well. Yes, exactly. He did. He looked like somebody you didn't want to mess with. Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, and Volkov and even mm -hmm. Gurria looked like somebody you, you don't want to go up and say, "Hey, you're a fake wrestler." You right? Got, yeah. You know, handed <laughs> to you. Right. I never said that because right. Even though wrestling is prearranged, I hate it when people say it's fake. Mm -hmm. No, the damage those guys take is it's real. real. It's yes. prearranged. It's not fake. Mm -hmm. But you used to say. They were fake to those guys. They slapped the crap out of you. Oh, yeah. Well, was it David Schultz? I think, didn't he almost <laughs> yeah, get arrested one night? Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> an interviewer asked him if wrestling was fake. Yeah. Does that feel fake to you? That was just an open hand slap. <laughs> you know, you, you didn't mouth <laughs> off to those guys like that. Um, so that was the first match. The, the other match that I looked up the ages on them. Mm-hmm. Because I knew Paul Christie was at least in his mid-40s in that match. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, he was almost 48 years old. Really? He looked in very good shape. Oh, yeah. He, as old as he was. And he gave him a good match. Yep. So. And he was taking uh, King Tonga, who was 26 years old at that time. Mm-hmm. And he did what he needed to do. He made uh, King Tonga look very good, mm -hmm. which wasn't hard. And, but... Uh, Christy, I thought that was a, a good match, too. Mm -hmm. And I just skipped over one. What was the match that I skipped over? Or maybe uh, I didn't. Well, no, it wasn't... Uh, was it... Uh, it wasn't... Uh, Afi and Sharp, was it? Was that no, that's that was, later. That's later in the That match. was before the main event with the Sheik and uh, Corporal Kirshner. Okay. Not the original Sheik, the Iron Sheik. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but one of the times... They were actually talking about Bundy in one of those segments in between. Uh-huh. And Gorilla said something about, 
Oh, yeah, you know, that's not a big body. So he goes, not a big body? Where are you hanging out at? The U-Haul? Right. Said, that's a big body. But <laughs> <laughs> those are the kind of quips you could look forward to. And, and you just were waiting for those segments to hear what was going to go on between the two of them. Right. I remember Cruella uh, uh, Monsoon was getting on to Freddie Blassie about hitting guys in the ribs with his cane. Oh, yeah. He came back and he said... Uh, said, I'm sure you'd do the same thing if you had a cane, wouldn't your brain? He's like, oh, no, that's against the rules. I would never do that. I'd play fair. I'm the manager of the year. No, you're not. Well, let's, yeah, well, they voted, but I am the number one manager. What? That was the that was Volkov versus Gurria, wasn't it? Yeah. It was uh-huh. Gurria he was hitting with the cane. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Freddie Blassie, what a clear, classy guy. I was going to call him classy, I guess. Yeah. So, another match that stuck out to me because I would not have wanted to watch it back in the 80s. I did give it a fair try, but I was like, yeah, my judgment back in the 80s was pretty good. <laughs> as much as I liked his brother, I could never warm up to Lanny Poffo. Yeah, he was... And the Lanny Poffo rene Goulet match, that would be the, the match that when we were watching it, we would run to the... Uh, bathroom or yep. we would run to the refrigerator and make a exactly. sandwich and grab a soda that would be the the break match yeah. lanny poffo never had the charisma that no. randy had uh he was athletic and he could do some interesting stuff well, in he the was ring. A, like a gymnast just about but he, he didn't have the he didn't have that where you would want to watch him right exactly you know and when you find yourself where he's the fan favorite and you're rooting for Rene goulet mm-hmm. you know it's, number one frenchman yep exactly <laughs> You're rooting for him. It's like, I don't think that this guy's getting over like they want him to. Right. And then he started doing those poems, and it was like, no, nope, this isn't doing it either. Yeah. And so, I didn't like him as a genius, so he failed as a right. fan, fan favorite. <laughs> well, he he kind of became a jobber when he was the genius. I mean, he, he was did. out there he to was. look everybody else look better. It looked good, yeah. so. So we'll say something nice about him. He did that well. He did make yeah. other his opponents look pretty good. Um, and then there was the Mike Sharp CV Afi match, mm-hmm. which was better than it should have been. But I got taken out of it. Um, well, you tell me what you think think about it, and then I'll tell you where I got taken out of it. Uh, well, like I said, I thought it was uh, you know it, it's basically our Mike Sharp who was a jobber, and uh, CV Afi was going to become the Tonga kid. And uh, no, tagged. he was not. That's not Tonga. Oh. Siviafi was a different guy. Oh, really? A lot of times they would bring him in to replace Superfly. Um, but uh, that's one of the Fatu twins. You you know uh, Tonga Kid and Rikishi are twins. Oh. And uh, so, no, this is Siviafi. Okay, it's so. It's a different guy. So I learned something today. Yeah. I, I thought Siviafi, because when I saw him on TV, he looked just like the Tonga Kid. Yeah, no, he uh, had a run and, well, he never had a run. He, he had a... Time in Mid South, and he was a opening card guy. He won a couple of matches against the enhancement talent, mm-hmm. but he always lost against anybody that was oh. any kind of name. Was a you know Paul Orndorff, somebody like that. Yeah, tear him up. And he became the guy where Superfly would get in trouble and get leave the promotion. Uh huh. He would come in. That's how he ended up in. Um, oh, okay. I mean, he was never going to capture the fans' imagination like Jimmy Snuka did. Oh, no. Tiger Kid would have had a much better shot. 
yeah. doing that than Steve Yaffe. Oh, so anyway, um, now that I got that straightened out, because I seriously thought that was Tonga. But anyway, um, I was watching the match. I was, you know, uh, Iron Mike was kind of his straightforward power wrestling kind of thing, and Steve Yaffe was, you know, doing the, the top rope stuff and flying around a little bit. And, uh, you know, when it kind of got out of... Um, when I kind of lost, it kind of lost me when it went over like the six, seven minute period. Because they're just, all they're doing is just trading shots now, back and forth. Nobody's selling anything. And I was like, oh, this is just getting boring now. So that was around the time that they lost me. And it was mainly because they went out on the floor. Mm-hmm. And they must have been out on the floor for over a minute. Oh, That yes. should have been a 20 second count on both of them. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. But I could tell when C.V. Afi got back in there, I'm like, is he supposed to win by count out? Mm-hmm. And they lost track of time on the floor? Yeah. Because eventually Iron Mike Sharp does get counted out. Yes, he did. It is a count out victory for C.V. Afi. Mm-hmm. Which it should have been a count out on both of them ages before that. And that's, that is bad. That's well, bad refereeing. And well, Gorilla tried to cover it up by calling it bad refereeing because it is bad yeah. refereeing. Because they were told if you had two guys out on the floor... And they stayed out there past the 20. Don't bury the referee. Have the referee count 20. Right. It's not Hogan and uh, Bundy or Hogan and Orndorff out there. Right, yeah. It doesn't matter if you count them both out. It's C.V. Afi and Mike Sharp. Mm -hmm. That referee should have counted them both out. Yes. And then they should have got their butts chewed out by the booker for not being smart enough to know that they only had 20 seconds out on the floor. They should have been watching the referee's count, and CB Office should have got back in the ring. Right, absolutely. And that's what... Uh, and, and that's what took me out of it. I'm like, they have to have been out on the floor for at least a minute. Oh, yeah. And this, not, now I know today they could be out there for two hours. Right, And the yeah. referee's just standing there going, yeah. counting, and then they stop because they're never going to count anybody out for real. No. Unless that's supposed to be the finish of the match, and then all of a sudden, out of all of these, they're, they're actually counting somebody out. And I'm trying to remember if it was a match on that, on that one, or if it was that match, or if it was in the second uh, episode that uh, I watched last night, where uh, one of the wrestlers going, this is the worst referee I've ever had, because the referee was out of position the whole time. He could have counted to five, but it took the referee three, four seconds to get over there. And I give Gorilla Monsoon credit for that. They would not always have the same regular referee in some of those towns. Yes. And if the referee, because one of Gorilla's sayings was, if they would have hung that referee for being a good referee, they'd have hung, or if they'd have hung that referee for being a good referee, they'd have hung an innocent man. Exactly, or, yeah. <laughs> he was always pointing out, and he buried this referee on this count yes, thing. Because he said, he should have counted those out, them guys out long ago. He must have broke the count four or five times when he should. Yes, have. that's right. He did point that out. And me. but that's good because it's burying the referee instead of burying your talent. And I know if you're in a territory, you normally wouldn't want to do that. Right. But they're going. They're going to these towns, and this is a national company. Mm hmm. Exactly. They probably will have a different referee the next time they go through there. So it's better that you bury them than you bury your talent. And say, why do these idiots not pay attention to what they're told in the back, and you know, right? Screwed up the finish. Um, which and we would be have been completely oblivious to oh. in the eighties. We knew some stuff was going on, but now everybody's heard and read everything so now you look at it through a different set of eyes right i always say i never thought when ted dibiase couldn't beat ken patera in 1980 mm -hmm. in st louis that 
Sam Muchnick was pissed off at Ted DiBiase or Ted DiBiase had done something wrong. I never thought that. Right, yeah. I thought Ted DiBiase just isn't there quite yet, but he's going to catch Ken Patera eventually. Right, yeah. Now, if somebody doesn't win something, they're like, what did he do to make the uh, Vince mad? Or what did he do to make Tony mad? Or what did he do to do this to this person? Uh-huh. Um, it's a different world because we look at this through different eyes. Yeah, we do. We're, we're much um, older and mature and... Yeah, and I think we can appreciate some of the the older stuff now that before we yeah uh, now I will say we shouldn't look at everything through rose colored glasses because mm-hmm. um, I didn't even get a chance to talk to you about this. I would say about a month ago, actually, it was after the last time we came down mm-hmm. that following weekend, I just went through and I went to 1982 and I tried to find every television show from every territory in 1982, and some don't don't exist. Yeah. Um, but I watched a lot of the stuff. Central States was still horrible. Mm-hmm. It was horrible in 82. Uh, Georgia's still pretty good, but there are some territories that are definitely on the way down. So before Bill Watts took over Oklahoma and, uh, Louisiana, the tri-states when Leo, uh, Leroy McGurk still had tri-states. Yeah. That was definitely not doing well. Uh, Portland, I didn't think that much of Portland when I was watching. You it. know, I Portland went downhill after Piper left. Yeah, I just I didn't think that much of it. So there were territories that were already struggling through. Like, and let's not even talk about it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think big time wrestling was near the end, and WWA, which was Bruiser's promotion, Indianapolis, it was yeah. almost over too. And it was just because all the talent had aged out, and they didn't create young right. stars. Crockett was strong, mm-hmm. uh, world class was strong, mid south was very strong, you know. But a yeah. lot of the promotions were already hurting. So Vince did not have the toughest field in the world right, to work exactly. against back then. So I don't look at that era because that's when we started liking wrestling through rose colored glasses. Mm-hmm. But I do say it was more credible because when they're trying to fool people. It looks much better than when we don't care and we're just out there fooling around. And if we screw up, well, who cares? Everybody knows it's prearranged. Yeah. yeah. We know Vikings is prearranged, too. Right. When Ivar was going in, create, doing some horrible thing, he doesn't stop, look at the camera, and put the arm around the guy he's torturing and go, this is getting pretty intense. Yeah. <laughs> but really, my name is Alex. And this is my buddy Joe. Uh-huh. And we're really good friends. After this is over with, we're going over to catering and eating lunch. and you know, mm-hmm. gonna, So don't get too worked up about this. This is so all you're, pretend. So you're you're, you're um, alluding to the big Cafebi uh, where uh, when Diesel and uh, Razor Ramon left. And yeah, they all hugged and everything. And, yeah. and I remember Vince just about blew a vessel. <laughs> and a lot of the guys in the office about blew a vessel too. Uh-huh. And... If you want to say your entertainment, follow the rules of entertainment. They don't break the fourth wall either. Yeah, exactly. So try to fool us. Mm-hmm. We can suspend belief for a little while to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And so I think the main event on this show was Iron Sheik and Corporal Kirshner. Yes. I never really liked Corporal Kirshner. He uh, never really got over with the fans. No, and he they he was not going to replace Sergeant Slaughter. No, huh? And I really have to say... One of the people I appreciate much, much more than I ever did when I was first watching him mm-hmm. 
is the Iron Sheik. Oh, yeah. He's actually a really good wrestler. The, but when I was watching him, he was sort of the joke character that lost the title to Hogan in my eyes. Yes, mm-hmm, exactly. And that that's not... And the other thing that's amazing about Sheik is he is in his early 40s mm-hmm. when that match is going on. I bet you he's in better shape than 90% of that roster. Oh, yeah. And you know the thing about uh, Sheik was... He was strong, and he could put a submission on you. Yeah. And I'm just not talking to Camel Clutch. No, no, he was a shooter. He yeah. was an Olympic wrestling uh, yeah. champion, and he had learned some hooks. Uh huh. He wasn't Ed Strangler Lewis or anything like no, that. No, but no, But he had learned submissions and stuff, too. Yeah. Because there's guys that he trained with that said Sheik would teach you stuff, but if you did something that annoyed him, he'd stretch you a little bit just to let you know. <laughs> If I wanted to, I could hurt you, but I'm not going to. So kind of like a receipt, but not really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, I I really appreciate it. And I did enjoy the match. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kirshner was better than I gave him credit for back in the back in yeah. the 80s. And that, it was a very good, um, inconclusive, but I mean, a lot of WWE matches were inconclusive back then. Right. It had I no... am so trained now to say WWE. Yeah. When it was WWF back then. But you know what makes me even madder than that? What's that? The Vince McMahonisms, his pet peeves. Oh, yes. That have come into common sports vernacular now. Mm-hmm. So twice now, I have heard on sports programming, this person has been taken to a local medical facility. Oh, the medical facility. Yes. yes. The infamous medical facility. That's a Vinceism. <laughs> And then the other one is, I have heard this on UFC, so we could talk about when we quit being wrestling fans. <laughs> Mine was when I discovered UFC again in 2005, and mm-hmm. that's pretty much been my baby ever since. I do watch a match that interests me, like Roman Reigns and everything, but right. I mean, I watch every UFC card. All right. I watch one or two matches that, <laughs> that I enjoy on there. But... Um, Three times now on the UFC broadcast, the last with different commentators. If this guy wins this fight, he's going to probably receive a championship opportunity. And I'm like, Vince, I hate your guts. <laughs> yeah. Title shots, championships, you know. That's what yeah. it always was in combat sports for a hundred yeah. something years. And freaking Vince McMahon and his championship opportunity. And you know, of course, now, I absolutely hate the fact that UFC and WWE are going to be yes, in the same uh-huh. company. Right. They go together like peanut butter and gin. Yeah. I mean, this is... Oh, and that's a ode to my uh, the late, great Bobby Heenan. Mm-hmm. Because peanut butter and gin, I heard him say on Primetime Wrestling <laughs> one time. And I've been using that for 30 years since. Um, talking about, um, you know... Uh, the championship opportunities and whatnot. You know, one you, thing that... You, uh, you just made the, the, the nerve in my neck twitch. <laughs> is that, uh, you know, it was bounced around, the words were bounced around a lot on that first episode of Raw, that or uh, Primetime, I'm sorry, uh, is Championship Committee and WWF President Jack Tunney. <laughs> what? The, oh, my God. The <laughs> President of WWF... And you heard him every week. And on primetime, you heard him almost every week mm-hmm. because Gorilla would constantly bring up WWF mm-hmm. President 
Jack Tunney. And, of course, then Bobby would go into one of his rants. Yeah, Jack Tunney. You know. Yeah, because he was, uh, Jack Tunney and the championship committee is not recognizing the talent of my yeah. men. And <laughs> Bobby could go on some rants about old Jack Tunney. But I tell you what, he made a lot of money for being one of the first people to sell events. Uh, yeah, he did. He had a job for life. And yeah, he, did. he made some good good money out of it. And he'd just have to pop up on TV every once in a while and tell Bobby Heenan. Huh. He was... It was Jack Tunney that popped up on TV and took the belt from DiBiase after Andre yes. gave it to him. Yep. Yep. So that was a pretty good gig to have. Yeah, uh-huh, not bad. Uh, but I, I definitely credit uh, Primetime Wrestling for getting me to finally give WWF Wrestling a chance. Yeah, because, you know, when we were brought up, um, when me and you were, uh, I mean, before we even went to high school together, I mean... I was still going to the NWA matches over at the old Checker Dome. Yep. And watching Ric Flair and Bruiser Brody go at it in the cage. Yep. Uh, you know, uh, Bobby Duncan. And, Big uh, bad Bobby Duncan. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, there was just all these great guys from the w, or the NWA were over there, you know. And, and, and one time... And I, I th- preferred that style of wrestling because that's what I grew up on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There wasn't this comic book type wrestling. Right. That's why I always despised Hogan. Yeah, I thought he was a joke champion in comparison to Ric Flair and Harley Race, who was a champion when I first started. Right. I hated Harley Race with a passion. Yeah, see, I, I liked Harley Race because well, he was... And Dick the Bruiser. Yeah, but... Well, Harley in the 80s when he became a good guy in St. Louis. Yeah. But now I have such a great appreciation for Harley Race. First of all, he was a legitimate tough guy. Yeah, he was. But not mess with Harley Race. Right, yeah. But number two, he would get in there, and you look, he is not that far off of Rick. When they talk about Rick could have a match with a broom. Yeah. Harley Race went in there with some real stiffs in the 70s and early 80s, mm-hmm. and he made them look like a million dollars. Yeah, You know, anybody that wrestled Harley had the <clears throat> best match they ever had. Same thing with Ric Flair. That was not an accident. Mm-hmm. Hulk Hogan could not do that same thing, but Hulk Hogan was great at one thing. He knew what kind of matches... He was capable of. Yeah. And he was very good. Because people will point out to that 1990 match where he wrestled the Ultimate Warrior mm-hmm. and say that was Ultimate Warrior's best match. That was not Ultimate Warrior's best match. No. The best match Ultimate Warrior ever had was with Randy Savage at one of those SummerSlams. Yeah. That was the best match because of Randy Savage's meticulous planning and mm-hmm. everything. Um, in my mind, you go back and you look, and everybody talks about Rick being the greatest wrestler of the 80s, which I believe he was. Oh, Ric Flair, definitely, yeah. But Randy Savage is definitely a close number two. Oh, absolutely. The greatest wrestler in the World Wrestling Federation during the 1980s was not Hulk Hogan. It's not Roddy Piper. The only person that I would put in Savage's league, and he wasn't a high flyer, but that didn't really matter in that era, and he gave Hogan, Hogan had his best matches with Paul Orndorff. Paul Orndorff was definitely... A, Paul Orndorff yeah. was... When you talk about WWF wrestlers of the 80s, I'd have to say it has to go to uh, Macho Man and Paul Orndorff. The 90s, it was Brett and yeah. Sean. That, yeah, that, that's exactly. That's pretty easy. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, and then, of course, and if you haven't got the picture yet, we highly recommend watching, if you've got Peacock... Watch the primetime wrestling series. Mm-hmm. Uh, highly recommended. And they had gold for three years. And then they decided to break Bobby off with his own uh, kind of talk show. And they remember they brought yeah, the Roddy Piper. Piper, Piper who, in, yeah. I really like Roddy Piper, and he's one of the greatest talkers of all time. 
but he did not have that chemistry with Gorilla, and the show was not nearly as good. Do you remember... Uh, sorry, I don't mean to break No, no. Head. Do you remember when Bobby was doing his other show, and that one year he dressed up as Santa Claus for the Christmas <laughs> show, <clears throat> and he's sitting there bad-mouthing the kids and moms and everything, <laughs> and Roddy Piper went over and just beat the snot out of <laughs> But that was the brilliance of Bobby. Yeah. He, he would make you want to see him get beat up, but uh, then you started laughing so hard, you're like, oh, Piper didn't need to do right. that. <laughs> but that was the brilliance of Bobby. Well, they realized, well, we screwed up, and they brought Bobby back in the studio, but it was too late. Mm-hmm. Because Piper was still involved. They brought extra people in the studio. It was never as good as it was it, with just Gorilla and, and Bobby. Bobby. Yeah, exactly. So, between 86 and 89, it was pure gold. We definitely recommend uh, that series. And we've covered a lot of ground today, so I think we'll save a bunch of it for episode 27. We're going to go forward in time to go back in time. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I guess my closing thoughts, and I'll let you have uh, the last word on this, is even though Primetime Wrestling was my... It, I can't say it was my favorite show because I really loved the W. Uh, it wasn't WCW at that time. It was still uh, Jim Crockett Promotions show. Mm-hmm. I was a much bigger fan of the NWA style of wrestling. Right. So the Saturday night show I never missed, even though it was a lot of squash matches. Yeah. But pro- primetime wrestling would have been 1B. If that show was 1A, this was 1B. But it was because of the commentary from Gorilla. Yeah. But I think the wrestling will probably age a lot better mm-hmm. as I watch those shows again. Um, and I will give you the last word. You can talk about this show, pro wrestling in general. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, my 1A show, believe it or not, was actually WCCW. World Class Championship Wrestling. That was my number one show from 83 till Terry got hurt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they always had good matches on. Uh, and then when they had a, when they had a, like a, the uh, big event at the Dallas Stadium, I mean, oh my gosh. I mean, it was outside. They brought in Ric Flair for Kerry. And I mean, it was just. They always had great shows, and like I said, even their TV shows had good matches on it. Uh, but then, um, yeah, my 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 second favorite show ended up being Primetime Wrestling, because as much as I did like the NWA, like you said, and they did have a lot of squash matches, they ran that show so poorly on Saturday night. Because they'd that have that, I'd have to agree with you. The the quality of the WWE always had much better production values. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we're supposed to get a sixty minute time limit match and. It's going to be going into minute 58, and we're out of time, folks. We'll see you next week. What? I forgot that. <laughs> You've been sitting there for a week going, what the heck happened? Right, exactly. And right as it went off, the horsemen were jumping up on the the uh, apron of the ring. Yeah, and that was before the internet, so <laughs> you had to wait all week to see what happened. It used to irritate the crap out of me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I forgot about them doing that. The old pro wrestling bait and switch. Yep. <laughs> Do you know why WCCW was so good and we liked it so much? Uh, just because they had great talent. And, and it was and it was about three, four shoot. Because oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I saw, I was watching some of the older 
series a few weeks ago mm-hmm. um, in 88. And Carrie and David weren't quite as bad as Kevin, but they were all... Yeah. They said it was a polite street fight. David was actually the worker. Mm-hmm. Carrie could get a little wild, too, because... They said it would come at you from odd angles, but they said, Kevin, they wondered if sometimes if he had been smartened up. <laughs> I saw, it was when the Freebirds had come back and Michael Hayes had come back, but he wasn't aligned with the Freebirds. Mm-hmm. And uh, Al Perez was being challenged by Chris Adams, and Chris Adams and Solomon Grundy, who's this big guy, get into a brawl with Al, or not Al Perez, with Terry Gordy and mm-hmm. Buddy Roberts. Oh, okay, yeah. And Solomon Grundy's got Buddy Roberts in the corner and is just kind of flattening him while Chris Adams is trying to fight Terry Gordy. Well, Al Perez hits Adams from the back, and then Gary Hart grabs him and puts him back in the corner. <laughs> and the other two, this is when the Freebirds were aligned with, well, supposedly part of the Freebirds was Iceman King Parsons and the Angel of Death. Right, yeah. Who come running into the ring. So Kevin Von Erich and a couple of the other good guys come running down there and run everybody off. Well, Grundy's still got... Buddy Roberts in the corner, and Kevin comes over and like backhands the the other fan favorite, who's kind of like, "What the heck?" He gets popped, so Kevin can pull Buddy Roberts out and punch him like two times. Looked like he punched him pretty hard, but he just like backhands the other fan favorite, who's like, "What the heck?" And Grundy's gimmick is he's this big guy in overalls. That smiles and waves to the crowd all the oh, time. Yeah. So he's usually got this stupid grin on, and he's got Buddy, when he's got Buddy Roberts in the court, he got this stupid grin on his face as he's banging into Buddy Roberts and Kevin Von just backhand him. He's, what the heck? <laughs> I'm to have to find that match. Oh, yeah, it's it's 88. I, I can tell you what one it is. It's like, oh, you know now why the wrestlers say, did anybody smarten him up? Right. So, well, I think, uh, was it Muta or Kabuki? But it made for good TV. Kabuki. Or- oh, Kabuki, that match I showed yes. you from 82. My God. Where Kabuki got tired of getting... I tell you what, Von Eric's face looked like a bruised peach. Yeah. <laughs> well, he had potatoed Kabuki like three or yeah. four times. And I think Kabuki's like, okay, he comes running as fast as he can. And Kabuki, Kabuki just sidekicks him right out of that corner. And that's when you see his eye go... All right. <laughs> oh, gosh. It was good television, folks. It was. <laughs> and you, you won't hardly see any of that today, because if that happened today, everybody would go crying to the promoter and the booker that they were hurt and the person's unsafe and something needs to be done about it. And these guys' feet hardly ever left the ground. I mean, oh, yeah. they were mostly mat-based wrestlers. Well, that's what they said. Uh, you know, uh, Sergeant Slaughter was even saying when he was fighting with the Ultimate Warrior, that the Ultimate Warrior was awfully stiff and... He, Sergeant Slaughter said, look, kid, he said, they was back in the dressing room after a match. He said, look, kid, he says, I'm going to start giving you receipts if you keep on stiffening up on me. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, and you know who did get, give him a receipt was Andre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He had run into Andre like that a couple times. Yeah. And Andre had told him, lighten up. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you the best story I ever heard about that, and then we'll end it. We'll okay. talk about tomorrow's podcast, too. He said Andre had told him like two times in a row. You need to slow up and ease up on that clothesline. Yeah. He said, because Andre would do the thing where he'd get the clothesline, he'd fall back in the ropes and tie his arms up. Yeah. Well, Bobby said the first night, he comes running into him, and you hear the giant go, oh. 
and he tells him after the match, you need to slow that up. Mm-hmm. Second night, same thing happens. And Bobby's like, well, the giant spot had enough of that. <laughs> Third night, he comes flying off the ropes at a million miles an hour. He said, I'll reach his reach up and punch him right in the face. <laughs> he does a somersault. Then they go back to doing the match. Uh-huh. And he goes, next night, he goes, and then he comes up and just lays it real <laughs> gentle across Andre's chest. But they said, and I heard this on Jim Cornette. Uh, he was talking about it. Ernie Ladd was working with Doc, Dr. Mm-hmm. Death Steve Williams. Yeah. And they said Doc, when he was young, he'd get fired up like a football player sometimes, and he would be kind of herky-jerky with you. Uh-huh. And they said he was kind of jerking Ernie around, and Ernie's in his uh, early 40s at that time, but he's still six foot nine and yeah, big. Well, he probably had and bad knees by then, too. He did. He had real yeah. bad but he had enough of that. They said Ernie Ladd spun him around in the corner, put him back up against the turnbuckle, and then put his butt up against him and grabbed both of the top ropes Ooh. so he couldn't move. And he said, now we're going to stay right here till you calm down and start listening to me. <laughs> <laughs> he said, Doc straightened up. They went back and they had the rest of the match. <laughs> if, if, if there's greater stories about people than Ernie Ladd, I, I haven't oh, heard of it. Some of I the know, stories right? about Ernie Ladd are just... And I always use that saying he used to have when he'd be Booker and he would take a couple weeks off because he needed to wring his brain out. Right, yeah. I say that all the time. Yeah, got to take a break from the project. Got to wring my brain out. <laughs> so we hope you enjoyed this walk back down uh, memory lane from two fans from the 80s. And the this episode is going to air on July 24th. The one we're going to do tomorrow is actually going to air on July 10th. So I have no idea what we're going to do in August, but come back and we'll have something good for you, I promise. Until then, take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye.